Good morning. It is so good for us to be here this morning, and I am so encouraged by your attendance this morning. Because when you are here, when you are here, you lift me up. Whenever I look out and I see my brothers and sisters, and I, I see them as, a, as we come to the door, and as we come in and we greet one another, and as we have already done so this morning in, in studying the Bible together and to singing praises to our God and offering up prayers, remembering His death that the Lord suffered, and all these things I, I am reminded. I am reminded that I am not alone. And I am so thankful that we are here together worshiping our God, that we are here together and, and in knowing that as I go through life and as I, I have the problems that come up in my everyday life and I see the troubles of this world, I'm reminded that I am, I am not going through this alone. God has given us a family. And you know, family is exactly what I want to talk about this morning. We started a discussion last year on this desire to grow. And we want to do that. We want to grow. We, that is a natural desire for us as humans. We want our children to grow. As we watch them from an early age, we, we are checking their status, where they are uh, in, in, in relation to the rest of the population. What percentile are they in their physical growth? Where are they at in their, in their mental growth? We also want the church to grow. We would love to see the numbers grow. But before that can happen, we also have to work on individual growth. That's what we started talking about there towards the end of last year. We started looking at growing individually in the knowledge of Christ. There in 2 Peter chapter 1, looking at those eight graces and, and how that we need to be growing in these ways. And if we are growing in this, then, then we are never going to lose our use for the Lord. We will never be disuseful, but rather we will be useful. And then carrying over into this year, we are still talking about growth. But now we are focusing on another relationship that many of us have. That is a relationship with our spouse. We are looking at a desire to grow in our marriages. Because our marriages need to grow in the fact that they need to reflect the image of God. And God oftentimes uses the marriage uh, to create re relationships where we can spread His gospel. We can be a light to others that we might come into contact with. We looked first at the sanctity of marriage and how marriage was something that was set apart. But today we're going to spend some more time looking at the intimacy of marriage. Specifically, the spiritual intimacy that our marriages need to be reflecting. In doing so, they do reflect the image and love of God. And the spiritual intimacy that is needed to survive the attempts of Satan to put asunder that which God has bound. And so let's dive right in. We have a lot to discuss this morning. Let's dive right in and consider what is spiritual intimacy. First thing that I want to point out is that it is important. In fact, it is the most important part in a marriage, but yet it is often the most forgotten. You know, emotional intimacy is important to a marriage. Understanding one another. Uh, <coughs> physical intimacy. Intimacy goes ranks right up there with it. Having a physical relationship with our spouse. These things are very important to the marriage. And in fact, these, these things that are, when these are lacking, we see problems arise in the marriage. But more important than that, more important than a heart-to-heart -heart connection, more important than a body-to-body than -body connection, we need to have a soul-to-soul -soul connection. And that's where spiritual intimacy comes in. 
Spiritual intimacy is a growing is growing in a relationship with God. And that means beginning to think like God. And when two individuals are doing that, when they are in a couple, and they're beginning to think like God in their marriages, this pleases God and their responsibilities to their marriage, but this also is going to please their spouses. In fact, this is going to create a union and oneness. You say that they think alike as the more they try to think like God. This is a very brief overview of what spiritual intimacy is. But maybe we should now look at why is it so important. And to show that point, I want to highlight the fact that God uses marriages to provide spiritual lessons. He does that in this day. When, as I said, we have the opportunity through our marriages to shine a light to others. But He has definitely done that in the Scriptures. Consider Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we read of the account of Adam and Eve. And we're not going to turn back to that. Most of us know that account. But essentially, God said to, to Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree, any fr the fruit of any tree in this garden is yours. But do not take of the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not eat its fruit or else you will die. And along comes a snake, which goes to Eve and says, if you eat of this tree, you, you will be like God. If you eat of this tree, you will know good and evil, but you will not die. That right there is just something that God is trying to say to hold you back. We see that the, the, the serpent deceives Eve, and she eats of the fruit. And then she gives the fruit to Adam. And Adam eats of the fruit. And sin is brought into the earth. Now what kind of problem existed here? Was it a communication problem? Was it something that just Adam didn't, didn't set enough boundaries for his wife? I, did I not tell you? No. No, because God told them. Was it something that Eve just didn't make it clear to Adam before he, she gave of him the fruit? No. It seems as if Adam was, was there with her. This was not a communication problem. This was a spiritual problem. Because had Eve been more intimate with God and His will, would she have taken the fruit in the first place? Would there have been any amount of lies that could have been told that contradicted God's Word that could have convinced her to take of that fruit? If she had been more intimate with God, would she have taken that which he had said would kill her and give it to her husband? Killing him. And what about Adam? Adam's not free of guilt here. Had he been more intimate with God's will, would he have stood by and watched as his wife took that which was going to kill her and let her eat it? Or would he have tried to lead her away, to protect and to guard her from the dangerous situation she was in? Another spiritual lesson that is provided through the use of marriage is seen in Hosea chapter 1 and through 3. We talked about this last week. We're going to talk about it a little bit more this afternoon. But in these first three chapters, we see a lesson that's being taught about intimacy with God using the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer gives birth to children. Some of these children were born from an adulterous relationship. But God has Hosea... Take Gomer back. Even though she had been unfaithful, he says to go and to love a woman loved by a lover. 
God was trying to illustrate His love for Israel, for His people here in this passage. Jeremiah chapter 2, likewise, tells of a woman who had desire for love. And she loved a man who loved her back. But her commitment to that relationship was tested. She was enticed by passion, by a sense of, of thrill and of adventure, something, something new and something different. And Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that this woman represents Israel, who turned from their commitment to God, who forsook his love, and who pursued other relationships. Verse 28 of Jeremiah chapter 2 says that the, the gods of Israel were like that of its cities. They were so numerous, the things that they worshipped. And again, here God is teaching us a lesson, a spiritual lesson that he desires for, for all to pursue one relationship as a relationship that they pledged their life to and that is true in our relationship with God and that is true in our relationship with our spouse we should pursue just one relationship what about Mark chapter 8 and verse 38 here Jesus talks about the adulterous generation he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The problem of an adulterous generation still exists today, just like it did in Israel's day, just like it did in Jesus' day. And the only relationship, again, that God desires is one with him, not one with many. So similarly, a man and a woman's relationship is to be defined by the two becoming one relationship, not multiple relationships. So in many ways, we see the spirituality of marriage as defined by these references. These ways show that marriage is something that is holy. It is something from God. It is something that is set apart and sacred. It is something that is honorable and consecrated. And this is why spiritual intimacy is so important. Because marriage is a spiritual relationship. Every couple should understand, first and foremost, this truth. That this relationship they are building is not a physical and emotional relationship at its core. It is a spiritual relationship that affects these things, no doubt. But is spiritual in nature. I read this quote that said, if you push spiritual intimacy to the back burner, if you push spiritual intimacy off to the side, you are ignoring the very God who created marriage and the one who can help you make it work. I loved that quote because that quote is based in truth from God's Word. Go over in Matthew chapter 7. <coughs> Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, a, a parable that we often call the, the parable of the two foundations or the parable of the, the, the wise and foolish worker. We teach our children this song. It says in verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus talked about this need to build our spiritual houses on a solid foundation, grounded in obedience to God. Saying a house on the rock can withstand. Our relationships need to be founded upon God's word as well. Else they will not be prepared for the storms of life, which so oftentimes assault our marriages. The loss of a job. It brings up financial struggles and fears of, of where our money is going to come from. It can put huge stresses on our marriages. The care for an, an elderly parent. Or a very sick child can stress our marriages and push them to, to the breaking points. Sicknesses, even death, de well not death, death breaks our marriage. I don't know why I put that in my, in my notes. But, but we see that there are, there are many things, things that can push us to the edge. And if our foundation is not firm, if our foundation is not solid on God's word and on obedience to Him, when these storms come and our marriage is pushed and is pulled and is bent, will it break? If we are firm in our foundation, as these storms pass by, we will find that our marriage is still intact. And so many of us are looking at that marriage and going, all I want is a happy marriage. But that's to get the cart before the horse. What we really need to look to and say is, all I want is a holy marriage. Spiritual intimacy develops holy marriages. And holy marriages will be happy. So oftentimes then, the marriages that we build, because we strive for that happy marriage, are based upon horizontal relationships. A relationship that is between the husband and the wife. And this is a 50-50 type of relationship where there is a give and a take. A sort of meet me halfway kind of feel. Maybe you remember the lyrics to the Diamond Rio song, In the Middle. The course of that song said, I'd start walking your way, you start walking mine. We meet in the middle neath that old Georgia pine. We gain a lot of ground because we both give a little. And there ain't no road too long when you meet in the middle. Man, the, the philosophies that have been built off that sort of mentality. The idea of give and take. It seems like that would build a happy relationship. But that won't build a holy relationship. Because here's the thing. A relationship like this, a 50-50 give and take relationship, leads to a desire, to, leads to selfish desires. Leads to those who are willing to get more than they are to give. 
Instead of having this sort of relationship, maybe we should consider this type of relationship. A relationship, instead of being a relationship between the, give, the giving and the receiving from the husband and the wife, but rather a relationship that is pressing upwards, that is striving towards something, towards God. Notice what happens here if only one spouse draws closer to God. They are still the same distance apart. There is still the distance separating them, but as both spouses draw closer to Him, they, be closer to one, they become closer to one another. Love increases in that relationship. Oneness increases in that relationship. Fulfillment is found in a marriage such as that. Because each one is desiring not to please themselves and not to please their spouse. They're desiring to please God in His ways and in all things. And based on this, there is absolutely no reason to accept anything less in our marriages. To do so is to accept less than what God provides. Now, I thought that I would be able to illustrate this by referring us outside to the extremely cold weather that we do not have this morning. But if it were cold outside, and we were out there and we were freezing and someone came and said, here's a coat that will keep you warm. And we said, no, that's all right. I, I'll, just, I'll just keep trying to be warm. I'll just keep slapping my arms. I'll keep shivering. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll generate some body heat that way. I would say, that's foolish. Here is a coat. Use it. Well, this is why spiritual intimacy is important. Because it is the best way. And we should accept nothing less. Spiritual intimacy is a desire to be closer to God. And it results in becoming closer to your spouse. Now maybe you're thinking, if this is the case, this is something I want. But why is this not in my relationship with my spouse right now? Why is this not existing in my marriage? And ironically, the one thing that can bring us closer as a couple is oftentimes one of the most difficult things for, for Christians to do. Some claim that it's very uncomfortable. Because the fact is, we want to learn about God. We want to pray to Him and to talk to Him. We want to receive nourishment from His Word. But do we want to do it together? Because that's hard. That can be hard sometimes, but that makes us prime targets for Satan. Just as it did to Adam and Eve. And it forces us to accept less than, less than best for our marriage. Here are just a few things that can help you detect in your marriage if you lack spiritual intimacy. Maybe you look at your marriage and say that, realize there are frequent conflicts in many different areas. Whether it be about money, whether it be about the yin laws, or maybe even politics, you know that battle lines are going to be drawn. And you know there are certain topics. There are certain topics that you don't dare even mention there. These are, these are no-fly zones, a no-man's land. We're not going to talk about these things. Because we have grown to be accustomed to battles in marriage. We are told you have to pick your battles. There's some battles that are not worth fighting, we are told. There are going to be the battle of the sexes. But we can't be content to accept that in our marriage. We cannot be content to accept that our marriage is just going to be a series of won and lost battles. 
That is not what God has in mind. But if that is what defines our marriage, spiritual intimacy very likely doesn't exist there. Maybe we feel incomplete. We feel like something is missing from our relationships. We have a good bond uh, physically. And maybe even a good bond emotionally. But there's still just something missing. I can't quite put my finger on it. Very likely you're lacking in spiritual intimacy. Maybe we don't have a firm foundation of of commitment. You know, when we promised on the day of our wedding, until death do us part, that's a commitment. But if our commitments are lacking, what will ultimately keep them permanent, and that is devotion to God, then our marriage is going to eventually devolve from a relationship built on commitment to a relationship built on convenience. And when things aren't convenient any longer, we will give up. We will look elsewhere for what we are missing. We will want out. Maybe we also lack boundaries. All marriages have a need to be guarded. God's Word provides absolute standards that aren't twisted by opinion. And as His people, we should delight in that. Because He has given us commands that are not only doable, He didn't give us commands that were so lofty that we could never hope to, to attain them. He gave us commands that are doable, and He gave us commands that are not wishy-washy. They are firm, and they are set, and they are unchanging. When we fail to discipline ourselves, our marriage is no longer being protected from other people or other things. What if Adam and Eve had set boundaries in their marriage? Boundaries of devotion to God. How much different would that relationship would would the days of our lives maybe even be? Another thing is that we just don't have time for spiritual matters. Because it's a busy, busy world. And there simply aren't enough hours in the day to do everything we desire to do. And believe me, I know that. We have one child playing basketball right now. And it takes up a lot of time. I can't imagine when the other two and their seasons start. It's going to be difficult. And whenever things like this happen and we feel like we're stretched thin on time, something has to give. And a lot of times what gives is spiritual matters. They are forced to take a hike. But without making time for God, we will never truly be able to make time for our spouses, for our families. Because the time we give them will be superficial, will not be, will not be full and will not be deep. Because we will lack the nourishment that we need that only God provides. Another thing that oftentimes is a red flag for us is that we're afraid of transparent, open, and honest conversations. Over in James chapter 5, verse 16, we read about some of these, these transparent relationships we're supposed to have within the church. And in James 5, verse 16, we read a very difficult thing that we are told to do. It says, confess your sins in James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of the righteous man can accomplish much. That should give us an idea of how we should be in our relationship with our spouse. Honest and open. Able to trust enough that we can open our hearts to to one another, even to reveal ugly truths. That level of trust is something that is not there in all couples. Not all couples share a trust in their mates. Maybe it has something to do with, with money. You know, I hear that often. 
of marriages that maybe the couples separate their banking accounts. This is mine, this is yours. And to be clear, I'm not condemning that. Sometimes there are, there are very real convenient and, and logical reasons to do that. But oftentimes I hear people say, I just can't trust my wife with, a car, with our debit card. I can't trust my husband with the credit card. And when I hear these sort of things, I can't help but feel sorry. There is such a lack of trust in that relationship because two becoming one requires trust. You know, in this day, we can track our loved one's cell phones. I'm not talking about Big Brother here looking down from a satellite. I'm talking about from, the, the, from our own homes, our computers, our, even our own cell phones. We can turn on and see exactly where somebody else's cell phone is at. I recently heard a, the other day of a woman who had been informed by her husband, you do not turn off that GPS. He demanded she keep that GPS on so he could check in at any time and see exactly where she is. When I heard this, I thought, where is the trust in that relationship? Now, maybe she had done something to violate that trust, but that relationship is damaged. It is not a, a, a relationship of unity. It is not an intimate relationship because trust is required for that. If we cannot be trusting open and honest that could reveal a huge lack of spiritual intimacy in our marriages going along with that is this, is this one do we feel ashamed or do we feel embarrassed because when there is shame and there is fear that you maybe will be ridiculed you'll be criticized or maybe even rejected because of that openness that transparency in our conversation well that leads to compartmentalization of a marriage there's just things that I'm not going to talk with her about. I'm going to, I'm going to bottle those up and, and put those down because he just won't understand it. Maybe you find yourself looking for excuses for why you won't open up, saying, I, I just don't want to talk about this right now. And we know right now means ever. We say, it's late. I'm just tired. I don't want to discuss about it. We'll put it off to another time. You know, I, I find myself doing this often because of hypocrisy. Because when I sin, when I commit a sin and I know what I've done is wrong and I feel so ashamed from what I've done is wrong because I know I should have known better, more than anything, at that time, I want, I want to ask forgiveness from God. I want to repent and I want to forget about it. I want to put it behind me and we're, we're, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. I'm not going to think about it anymore. That's not really what James 5, verse 16 told us, was it? It's important to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. But sometimes we think, you know, I already feel like garbage. I'm already ashamed of myself. Why should I open myself up to more humiliation? Why should I open myself up to more pain? If we have thoughts like that, I would just ask ourselves, who has convinced us? Who says to us that our spouse is not going to love us for opening up to them? Who has convinced us that our spouse is not going to, be, uh, is not going to encourage us and is not going to grow themselves because of our openness? The fact is, by pleasing God and following His will, you make opportunities to, to please your spouse and opportunities to be pleased by your spouse. And lastly, and this is not an exhaustive list, but yet 
six points, eight points, excuse me, that, that highlight problem areas in marriages. This last one is, do you believe your spouse is not interested in spiritual matters? Because if, you're, if they're not, and maybe you're right, and they're not, this is obviously an indicator that your marriage lacks spiritual intimacy because there's no interest in their part. But in this case, remember that you can be God's instrument in reaching your spouse. Pray for them. Pray for them if they are struggling with spiritual intimacy. Take that up to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And if they will allow it, talk with them. Share with them uh, your convictions. And share with them that prayer that you pray. But in all this, stand back. Stand back and remember that it's not your job to make them grow. God will give the increase. You plant. You water, but then you stand back and remember, as 1 Peter 3, 4 tells us, to allow God to open their spiritual eyes through your gentle and quiet spirit. That means that this is not a time for ultimatums. Either you, you get your act together spiritually or I'm, I'm out the door. You need, to start getting into, <coughs> you need to start getting into that church building. Coming with me to worship or I'm, I don't know what's going to happen to this marriage. It's not what this is talking about. We are, to, we are to gently and quietly be a light to our spouses. And verse 7 goes on to remind us that we are to treat them with understanding. Recognizing that at one point in our life, we were spiritually weak as well. And don't forget that just because things aren't what they should be right now, that it doesn't mean with God's help and our obedience one day that they won't get there. Have faith and hope. Because that should be our goal, getting there. And to get there, we have to realize that spiritual intimacy begins in our marriage when certain factors are met. First one is you and your spouse turn to God together. No matter how inadequate you believe you are, remember this one thing. No matter how inadequate spiritually that you believe you are. Maybe your spouse has been a Christian much longer than you. Maybe they know more about the Bible than you. Maybe they are even more active than you. Remember this. That in the cross of Christ brought man and woman together in equality. Jew and Gentile. Slave or free. Male or female. All are made one in Christ Jesus. Now certainly there are different roles that, that man and woman are given. And these roles must be respected. But standing together in the shadow of the cross puts us on level ground. You know, this is more than just, just people. When we talk about people turning to God, this is more than just turning to Him in, in the pages of the Bible and knowing what it says. This is a couple who turns to God and says, I want to look more like your son. People who are open to allowing Christ to work in their lives daily. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 6 described it as clay in the potter's hand. Romans 12 verse 1-2 tells us to be transformed. Our marriages need to be transformed rather than conforming to the views of this world. When we will openly turn to God together, spiritual intimacy can begin. That means we must be God-centered as well and not spouse-centered. 
Oftentimes we view our situations and we say things like, you know what, we need to communicate better. Our communication is pitiful. We need to work on that. Or we say, you know what, the romance in our relationship is not what it should be. It is, it, it is sad the, the way that we, we don't meet one another's needs physically. Or what about this one? The way we handle disagreements is heartbreaking. We need to work on that. We need to work on the way we fight. All of these things, all of these things may certainly be true. But if we interact through horizontal approaches to making these changes, we are making a mistake. Because this is being spouse-centered, focusing putting our focus in the wrong direction. Because spouse-centeredness reacts like such as this, a wife towards her husband. And she acts nice towards him. And because she acts nice towards her husband, in turn, he acts nice to her. She's being awfully nice to me. Maybe I should be nice back. And because he's being nice back, she starts to give him attention. And because he's getting attention, he says, this feels really good. And so he starts to give her the affection that she wants. And this will continue on into romance and, and, and will continue on as long as there is there a reward for our behavior. This is give and take. And this sounds all right on the surface because it works for a period of time. But you know what else will work for a period of time? Pouring water in your engine oil. For a period of time, water and that oil will still allow your motor to run. But it doesn't mean it'll run well. It won't run good. It won't run long. And it won't run without lots and lots of maintenance. You've got to get that water out of that motor oil for that thing to run good. And we need to get this spouse-centered view out of our relationship if we want it to be strong and to last long. Because a marriage never calls us to love our spouses because of how they make us feel. A marriage never calls us to love our spouses because of how they treat us. We are called to love and to esteem and to honor our spouses, not for self-gratification, but in reverence to God. And Colossians chapter 3 makes this so clear. Verse 8 says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and then have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So as to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. These verses make it clear. We are called to holiness and to love and forgiveness and kindness. And we are called to these things regardless to how we are treated regardless to the response from our spouse. And that means every decision I make, every word I speak, every thought that I think is going to be motivated through that reality. Reverence to God. 
Verse 17 goes on to say, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. We must develop God-centered relationships. We also, if we want spiritual intimacy to, to begin in our marriage, means we have to be talking about it. Because the spiritual intimate couple grows when they talk and listen in spiritual discussions. Talk about what God can do for your marriage. And what you hope He will do for your marriage. Talk about what He has done and is doing right now in your marriage. Maybe you discussed the points that you liked. Or that you found helpful in a recent sermon. And if you, if you can't find any points from a recent sermon, then dive into God's Word together. Remember, this is a time not to preach to one another. But rather, this is a time to share God's Word and His nourishment with one another. But don't just stop at talking about it. Make sure you move on to praying about it. You know, maybe you've heard the old saying, couples that pray together, stay together. You know what? There is truth to that statement. According to the book, when couples pray together, According to this book, only 4% of couples out of this large number that they polled, only 4% actually did this, actually prayed together. We're, not, we're, we're, talking about, we're talking about prayer that is set apart, not just prayer at the dinner table, not just prayer over a meal. Of that 4%, only 1 out of 1,200 ended their marriages in divorce. Only one out of 1,200. You know, when, when the world so oftentimes gives us the quote, 50% of marriages in divorce, that number gives me hope. My marriage doesn't have to be in divorce. It can be strong. It can be spiritually intimate. And it can stand. Spiritual exercise is what's needed in our marriages. And praying is a spiritual exercise that provides depth to our marriages. It unites our hearts. It helps us to feel closer together. It helps us to improve our communication. And it reduces selfish desires. As we pray to God together, it is difficult to be selfish. Especially if we truly are opening our hearts to God. Let me encourage you again. This is not just something that we do in public or in, at the dinner table, or over a meal. This is something that deserves a time and a place set aside just for it. For some, this is something they do first thing in the morning. They wake up, their feet hit the ground, and they go straight to their knees together, praying to God. Others, it's something they do before they go to bed. Maybe it's a time where you shut your door. You tune off, turn off all the sounds of the house. You tune out everything that's going on, and you say, this is our time to pray. Some people take turns praying aloud. Others find this uncomfortable and so they just hold hands, close their eyes, and together their hearts offer up prayers to God. This is something we need to do daily. This is something we need to do with a purpose. Pray for the concerns that our spouse maybe has shared with us as we were talking with one another. Pray for wisdom. Pray for power. Consider the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. He said, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, 
do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What do we think our marriage would look like if we were offering up prayers like this? Prayers that, that ask God for wisdom for our spouses. And certainly prayers for us as well. But to give our spouses wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of Him, understanding from God's Word. As, we, as my spouse reads, God, reads your Word, God, help him or help her to, to see it as you meant it. And to become enlightened. To be taken out of this dark world that we come from and to be enlightened by your truth. Help them to see the hope that is in your calling. Help them to see the riches of your glory. And help them to see the greatness of your power and the authority of your Son. What do we think our marriages would be like if we were praying for these things and God was hearing our prayers and answering them? What do you think our prayers, our, our marriages would look like? You see, spiritual intimacy is in marriage is discovering what God wants you to be for your spouse. It is discovering how to help your spouse be pleasing to God. It removes pride and ego and loneliness and deception, and it replaces it with attachment, oneness, connection, both emotional and physical. It replaces it with trust and honesty and closeness and peace, joy, Love and hope. It is walking together. As a husband and wife who have decided, with the help of God, we want to grow. But if you are refusing to bring spiritual intimacy into your marriage, I want you to know what that means. It means you are refusing to take your marriage to a higher level. You are refusing to take your marriage to a higher level of appreciation and of respect and of devotion, and you are refusing to take your marriage closer to God. We can't have that. We can't be content with that. We must be striving for more spiritual intimacy in our lives. In closing, I want to share with you ten points. I know this lesson has, has been long. I appreciate your patience. Ten more points that you will keep Christ at the center of your home and lead to greater spiritual intimacy in your marriage. We call these the Ten Commandments of Spiritual Intimacy. Number one, remember the builder. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Number two, seek knowledge. Colossians 1, verse 9. Again, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Seek knowledge. Number three, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be on the alert for evil. Again, what would have Adam and Eve's marriage been like? They had been on the alert for evil. 
And this next one, again, applies to them and to us as well. Follow God's direction. Psalm 119, verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts. Verse 54 says, And regard your ways, your statutes are my song on the house, in the house of my pilgrimage. Number five, live in oneness. Mark 3, verse 25, If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 gives us number six. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Not only do we need to seek knowledge, we need to seek understanding as well. Number seven, develop character values. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember, who we are is what our family is going to become. Let's build character values into, our, into who we are. Number eight, ask God to help and choose every day to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number nine, remember the master of your home will return. Mark 13, 34 and 35 says it is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. And number ten, have a vision for your marriage. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, or where there is no prophecy, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. We're going to be looking towards the future of our marriage. Have a vision for what we want that to be. Today, if you know that your marriage has not been God-centered, or if there is some other sin that you are struggling with, I want you to remember James 5, verse 16. And I want you to remember that we are here as a family, the family of God, the bride of Christ. We have been married into God's family. And we are here to trust one another. We are here to be open to one another. And we are to be one. We are to be in unity. And so you can confess your sins to us so that we can pray for you and we can help you and we can open up dialogues to where we can confess our sins to one another. Maybe you are here this morning and you have not yet been married into the family of God. Jesus said, to, said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 through 50, He said, My brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. If you want to join His family, we want to help you. We want to help you by being submissive to the will of the Father, by living in obedience to that will the rest of your life. If there's something we can do to help you with that this morning, won't you please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.